the pastoral staff talked me out of uh, t- talked me into taking a break from uh, Hebrews. Um, and wanted me to share a little bit, and I, I really felt this was of the Lord to share uh, something that I've done several Mother's Days ago, and, and and that is to share a little bit of my my story, my pilgrimage that really brought highlighted a part of an aspect of God's being that I hadn't seen highlighted before. It brought about a lot of healing in my life, and it seemed to fit as we're um, talking about um, discipleship. The last several weeks, we've been talking about discipleship and. And, and there's some kind of heavy, awesome stuff that's going on there. It felt right to take a break and sprinkle it with a heavy dose, a nice motherly sort of dose of God's grace. Because everything we do in the Christian life, all the growth we do in the Christian life, comes out of a, a reception of God's love and God's grace. So I'd like to share a little bit about that. And the sermon's going to be a little different than usual. I'm going to read my text towards the end of the message. But I'd like to start with prayer. And there seems to be, uh, for those people in the soundboard there, and the soundboard, uh, there's some kind of a little buzz back here, if you can work on that. Father, I would just pray that your word would be here in a powerful, healing kind of way. I ask, Lord God, that you'd have your way here. Holy Spirit, be sovereign here. Father, I pray that you'd give us a real sense of openness and honesty and truth as we share, Lord, how you have brought healing in our life. And Lord God, let that healing process in each one of our lives continue. I pray, God, that you would just give us a picture of yourself this morning that maybe we haven't had before, and that that seeing you as you really are would bring healing into our life, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let me start by asking the question of Mother's Day, and that is, what is a mother? What is a mother? And to answer that question, I thought it'd be good to go to uh, the the card store and look at some Mother's Day cards, because who would know better what a mother is than the people who write cards to mothers? And so, listen to a couple of these, and you mothers can just receive these. For you, mother, a mother knows how to brighten your day with things that she does in her kind, loving way. A mother is kind and loving. She knows how to see things from your point of view and be understanding and helpful to you. A mother is understanding and and helpful, empathetic. She can understand your situation from the inside. Yes, fathers can too, but this is Mother's Day, and so we're focusing on, on mothers. And there's a distinct way that a mother does that. That's what we celebrate on Mother's Day. A mother knows how to give and to share and to bring special joy and to lighten the care. She knows how to add so much beauty to living, for she knows the true art of loving and giving. I love you, Mom. Okay, that's, that's a nice, isn't that a nice card? Here's another one. Well, where else am I going to put it? The special love in a mother's heart is a love that's deep and true. A mother's love is deep and true. And everything she, uh, in everything she does, her gentle warmth comes shining through. From years of work and patience, she's learned her special art, for her family feels a quiet strength in the love of a mother's heart. Thank you, Mom, for loving as only a mother can love. There is a special kind of love that comes from a mother that only a mother can give. It's, thank you for that special kind of love, for being the most wonderful mother in the world for being you. Oh, 
I, 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 amen. I know I get... I hope, I hope that you mothers feel that way this morning, that your kids see you as, as the most special mother in the world. Finally, one more. There's a special place within your heart that only mother can own. Isn't that great? A special place. There's a, there's a place in every person's heart that's carved out for mother. There's a special kind of caring that is meant for her alone. There's a special sort of feeling that is warm and loving, too. A special kind of joy that comes with memories of you. Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day, it, it's, uh, it means a lot of things to different people, and it causes different reactions in different kinds of people. Let me illustrate this. On Friday, I was out picking out this card, and I was standing in the line, and I read this card to my daughter. I just was showing her the cards that I found. And as I was reading this card to my daughter... Uh, when I got done, I looked up, and there was a, a, a lady in her uh, probably late 60s, 70s, right around there. And she was staring at me, and her eyes were all welled up with tears. <laughs> and she goes, that's beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, and then she said, I hope I get a card like that this Mother's Day. And I said, I hope you do, too. And, and she says, your mother is very lucky. <laughs> and I said... Actually, this isn't for my mother. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't know what she thought. She's like, oh, <laughs> you're a very strange person. But, but 120 seconds earlier, I was in the card line. I, I, was, I was picking out these cards in, in, in the, the card row. And as I was looking through these cards and reading them, there was a lady next to me, and she would pick them up and look at them, and she'd kind of oh, put them back, and then she'd look at another one. Oh, you know, she was getting very flustered. And so I said, you just can't find that right one? <laughs> and she goes, right one? How do you pick out a card for an old hag? <laughs> I said, the old hag section's right down there. I mean, <laughs> so I said, you're having trouble finding one then, huh? She goes, well, I usually get funny ones, you know, just to cover how I really feel about things. And I, so I said, I take it, the relationship with your mother was not that good. And she said, well, actually, it's my mother-in-law. I've got to pick out every, every Mother's Day. We've got to go over to my mother-in-law's house. I've got to pick out a card. My son can't even bring himself to do it. And then she tells me this story in, in about two minutes of this woman who was a very bitter, very angry, very mean-spirited, and very abusive woman. But she says, we've got to get a card, and I, it's my job to pick it out. And none of these fit, and I can't find all the, all the funny ones are gone. So, you know, mothers, if you always get funny cards, worry. Uh, can't find any funny ones. And so I, I, I got to try to stomach one of these. And then I said, well, have you ever thought about just you know, breaking the game and telling her the truth? Uh, just coming out and confronting it. Who knows? Maybe there's a chance she'd change. And this lady said, oh, God, she's 89 years old. She'd probably have a heart attack. And then there was a moment of silence. And then she looked at me. <laughs> She put the card back in the rack. Now, I don't know what happened after that, but. I should have thanked her for the good sermon illustration. But the reality is this, and this is what I kind of want to speak towards. Um, for some people, for a variety of reasons, Mother's Day, you know, for, for a lot of you, it's a joyful time because you had mothers that you really love and you really cherish, and you pick out cards that are meaningful and you give them these very meaningful cards, and that's a beautiful thing. 
For others, it's not so beautiful. Maybe you're a woman who wanted to be a mother, and for whatever reasons, it just didn't happen. And Mother's Day can be a painful thing for you. For others, it's painful because um, you, don't, you don't have a mother that you could honestly give a card like that to, like this lady in this, in this card store. And uh, that's, how, that's the position I've always found myself in. And I want to just share a little bit about what that's about and how the Lord healed that. That the Lord might maybe use this story as a way of bringing healing into our own life. I never remember having a a loving moment with my my mother. My mother died when I was two, but I was raised by my stepmother. And uh, um, I never remember there being any sort of love between us. Any kind words, any, any I love yous, any... Any sort of tenderness. I never remember being hugged. I don't remember ever sitting on her lap. The only thing I remember from childhood with regard to my stepmother is, is her being angry at me. Uh, I always felt like, it, it just seemed like she was constantly angry at me. My, my stepmother had a, a thing about kids playing. Uh, she, she didn't play a whole lot when she was a kid, I guess. And so she thought that kids are supposed to work. And she had this thing against playing. And if she ever found us playing, she'd give us work to do. Uh, stupid work sometimes. She'd make up jobs that didn't make any sense. But she just didn't like to see us playing. When we were going to play, we had to hide. I, to this day, sometimes feel guilty if I'm having too much fun. It's, it's kind of a lingering thing there. You're supposed to be working. It's like, uh, what right do you have to actually be having fun? You're supposed to be working. She had that kind of twisted way about her. She had sometimes some very uh, aberrant ways of punishing kids. And I've shared some of these before uh, in this congregation. Um, one time I remember in a bath, I, my brother and I were taking a bath about, we were, I had to be five or six years old because we were in Lansing, Michigan, and we moved when I turned six. My brother and I were mad at her, and she was mad at us, and she was giving us a bath. I don't know what the problem was, but at one point we said, we're going to run away from home. And so she picked us up. This is in Lansing, Michigan now. She picked us up out of the tub, and she took us to the front door, and she threw us out the front door. Now, the trouble is it was, it was, it was, it was wintertime. I don't know what month it was, but I remember there was snow on the ground, and we were stark naked and, and dripping wet. And she locked us out of the house. And I don't know how long we were out there, but I remember that at first we thought it was funny. She was joking around, but then it dawned on us that she was serious, and we couldn't get back in the house. And my brother uh, traveled through the snow to the back of the house trying to find a way to get in. And I remember the ice starting to, to, and we finally started crying and begging her and pleading her to get in the house. And finally she came in and, and let us out and told us that we had better never, ever, ever say that we're going to run away uh, again. And it's like we we're supposed to say, okay, now we love you and we'll, we'll stick around here. She had, when it came to punishment, I remember sometimes my, my father was never supposed to know how she punished us. So we had to kind of keep it secret. She told us that if we ever told uh, our father uh, what she was doing when he got home, he traveled for two weeks at a time. And if we ever told uh, what she did, there'd be hell to pay. And so we kept it secret. One time I remember my dad came home early. He was supposed to come on, he usually came home on Friday nights. He came home on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and my face was all bloody. And I remember I got scared. I got scared because now I was caught, and that he would know what had happened. He said, oh, why, you know, what, what's wrong? Why is your face all bloody? And, and I said, well, I was a bad boy. And then he just said, did your mother do this to you? And I just went like that. And, and uh, the, uh, a war broke out, dishes started flying. I mean, he was so enraged by that whole thing. And the worst thing about it was I felt guilty for that. I felt like it was my fault. Like if they got a divorce, it would be my fault. 
One time she had me lick crayon off of a stucco wall. I had drawn on a stucco wall when I was five or so, and she had me lick crayon off of that as a way of punishing me for that until my tongue was bleeding. I remember begging her, please, you know, can I stop now? And she just made me kept on licking it and licking it. One time she almost made my, my, my sister eat some dog manure because she slept in it and screamed and woke her up from a nap. And in front of all the neighborhood kids who were playing out in the backyard, she had her bend down on her knees and get about this far away from it. She finally backed off from it because my sister was crying and begging and pleading with her. But that's the kind of mindset that she had. There was no love there. There was only anger there. There was, at the time, you think it's kind of normal, I guess. Looking back on it, now I can see it as being positively sick. But what it did for me was this. I remember at a very early age... Making a commitment to myself, I, I, I don't know how old I was, six or seven or maybe eight, but I made this decision, I came to this awareness that mom didn't like me very much, and if she wasn't going to like me, I wasn't going to like her, and I wasn't going to give her the satisfaction of letting her hurt me anymore. And at a very young age, I just sort of severed my nervous system, my emotional nervous system, as a way of just ending the pain. And I don't remember for 14 years crying. I just severed that thing. And she could spank me, and she could make me lick crayon off a wall, and she could put me outside in the snow. She could do whatever she wanted, but I never would cry. I see, there's a high price you pay, and some of you in this congregation have, have, have done this. What you got to do to survive is to end the pain. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You just got to get the pain to stop, and whatever it takes to get the pain to stop, you're going to do it. And if it means just shutting off your emotions, you do it. But the price you pay is that you shut off the joy, you shut off the pleasure, you shut off of anyone getting on the inside, and that's what I did. And it worked, I survived. But the result was that you become sort of dead, you become sort of stoic. For about 14 years, 12, 13, 14 years, I lived sort of a stoic life. I don't remember anything ever upsetting me. Family blew apart when I was 12. Uh, you know, half the kids went one way, half the kids went a different way. I don't remember ever skipping a beat. I don't remember anything ever bothering me. I don't remember feeling stuff. I thought she was out of my life. From the age 12 on, I never thought about her. She left us, and, and I was just sort of raised by my father. And I always felt like my father loved me a lot. He had to travel a whole lot, but, but I felt good with him. The main thing I felt when Dad was home was safe. I felt safe, because I knew that she would never do what she normally does when Dad was home. But for the, from the age of 12 on, I thought she was out of my life, and I didn't think about her at all. I thought I was done with this, and I became a Christian when I was 17. The Lord, as he does with all of us, he plants a mustard seed, a mustard seed of love that begins to take root, and it begins to grow, doesn't it? And it begins to take over different areas of your life. And at some point, as this mustard seed of God's kingdom, the mustard seed of the kingdom, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he plants it and it begins to grow. He doesn't just change and heal your life automatically. There's a process you usually go through. And, and, and this mustard seed began to grow. And there came a point when the Lord said, as the kingdom was being set up in my life, Greg, there's something you need to be healed from. Now, I didn't even know I needed to be healed from anything. I felt people looked at me and they thought I was pretty together. They, I was on top of things. I was, you know, a real together kind of a guy. I had things going for me. But the Lord said, there is, there's an area that we need to begin to heal here. And we need to begin to heal it. And as I shared in the fall, I'm still going through this healing process. The healing itself sometimes takes time. But the Lord showed me how I really had not let go, let, let, I hadn't let go of my, my stepmother. I was hanging on to her, and the way I was hanging on to her was by my anger, by a rage that was there, by a bitterness that was there. The Lord showed me in, in different ways, and all through just prayer time with him, 
that I was living in a world that had defensive structures set up all around it. I had this sort of cynicism and this irony and this sarcasm about me, but it was all used to keep people at bay. No one's going to get on the inside here because no one is ever going to hurt me. It's a covenant I made when I was eight years old, and it's a covenant I'm still keeping. And I, I was so used to it, it was so much a part of me, that I didn't even have to think about it anymore. It was just there. I was, but it's like all unforgiveness. It's like all bitterness. It gets on the inside and it begins to pollute your worldview. Anything that is not of love, anything that is not of the kingdom, in some way damages you. It distorts you. The stepmother doesn't pay. You pay. The Lord showed me how I was hanging on to her by the very act of submerging all my anger and rage and sense of abandonment and hurts and wounds. I was hanging on to her. And it was affecting my life. And now it was time to begin to grow out of this. To let go of this. What the Lord did for me in a nutshell, and it didn't happen like this either, but the Lord began to reveal something to me. And it was this. We always call God Father. And God is Father. That's the predominant picture of God throughout the Bible. But there's another strand of the Bible that points out a different dimension of God's being. It's what you might call a feminine side or a motherly side. And the church has traditionally done a good job of ignoring this one. You know, God created males and females in the image of God. That means both reflect God. God is the author of both, and God possesses both characteristics. We've done a good job of of suppressing one side, and that is the motherly side. The Lord revealed to me that the Lord wanted to be to fill the role that I never had for me. That I had never met as a little kid. And that was the role a mother was supposed to play. There really is, I believe, a special place in the heart of every kid that only a mother can touch. And I, I'm, not, I'm not even thinking here, you know, I don't even care if this is a cultural thing, if this is a biological thing. Let's just ignore that whole debate. It doesn't matter a bit. What, is, what matters is this we all have a sense that there's a role that a mother plays in a kid's life that only a mother can play. And I had a need that was there that had not been met. I remember longing for a mother. I used to go to kid. I used to like to hang out at at friends' houses. First of all, because I could play and not get caught. Secondly, because I loved to be around their moms. When they came home, their mom smiled. That was a different thing. I never had that. When, when, When they wanted to climb up on our lap, they climbed up on our lap. When they did something good, their mother was proud. I didn't have anything to relate to that. I got. There's nothing in my experience that I can tag any of these cards to. I used to envy Jesus when I look at statues of the Virgin Mary holding him. I, in, in church, I'd sit there and I'd just look at the statue of the Virgin Mary. And i think, Jesus, what a, lucky, what a lucky boy you are. You know, to be loved like that. And you know what, looking back, and I'm kind of doing my own little therapy here, I guess, but, but uh, um, I used to talk to Mary all the time. Mary, I grew up with a Catholic boy, and I never talked to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I felt like I was too sinful for them. But Mary... I, I got an in maybe with Mary, and I talked to her. She was sort of my surrogate mother, I guess. Well, here the Lord wanted to meet that need. One passage, one passage that, that brings out this part, of uh, this aspect, this dimension of God's being. There's a lot of passages that do. Hosea chapter 11 and Proverbs chapter 8. This, this distinctly feminine or motherly side uh, of God. But another passage, and I just want to read it here, is Isaiah 49. This is the kind of thing that the Lord began to drive home for me in my life, and it was very healing. The Lord says this. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Verse 13, Isaiah 49. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. 
Now you got to know here that Israel is in a bad place. Israel has sinned in a grievous way against God for generations and generations. And as a result of that, has come under judgment. They are feeling judged by God. In the midst of their sin, God says, You are my children, and I want you to rejoice. For I will have compassion on you, and I will comfort you. The Lord speaks. The Lord doesn't wait until we get out of our mess to love us. He loves us in the midst of our mess, and that's how we get out of our mess. It's an incredibly important principle to know. So he says, Rejoice, Israel, my children. I'll have compassion on the afflicted one. But Zion said, this is verse 14, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Israel's feeling like the Lord has forsaken him. The Lord has forgotten him. Not because of God's fault, but because of their fault. We have screwed up so bad. We have botched it so bad for generations and generations of being hard-hearted towards God. God has finally given up on us. God has finally abandoned us. Do you ever feel like that? One of the main things I think I felt, just from my past experience, was a sense that God's never really going to come through because no one in authority has ever come through. The only thing that authority is good for, whether you're talking about mom or dad or mother superior in Catholic school, what authorities are good for is to be angry with you. That was my experience. And so I always felt abandoned. To this day, when when kids get kidnapped or or something terrible happens to the kids, there's something that just hits to the core of my being. It does to all of us. But to me, wrapped up in it is all sorts of abandonment issues. Who's there to take care of little kids? Who's there to take care of little kids? And sometimes you feel forsaken. Sometimes you feel forgotten. Sometimes it just doesn't feel like God is around, like Dave was saying here this morning. Sometimes you're a believer, and you've been a believer for 25 years, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it just seems like God's abandoned you. Maybe it's the circumstances in your life. Maybe it's the divorce that you're going through. Maybe it's how bad you've fallen into sexual sin. Maybe it's some addiction. I don't know. But you feel forsaken. And on top of that, you blame yourself for it. And maybe it was your fault for it. This is the situation that Israel's in right here. And then the Lord says this. Israel, can a mother for the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. The Lord here draws up in the midst of Israel's sin. And now apply it to your life. I don't know where you are. Maybe right now you have been or shall be or right now are in, 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 in a real struggling state. The Lord, rather than getting big and nasty and going, I'll crush you for that, the Lord draws up the most tender image you can possibly imagine. A mother nursing her little child. Is there anything as pure and as innocent and as beautiful and as bonding as godly as that? A mother nursing her child. And saying, Israel, when you think about me, you got to think about me like this. Could that mother who is bonding with her child, who's nursing her child, just forget her child and not have compassion on this child who's hungry? Could a mother do that? And when that child grows up, as a child is growing, when that child falls down and skins her knee, would that mother who nursed that child not have compassion on that little baby? And as that baby gets older and maybe screws up big time, maybe goes the wrong way, does the wrong things, maybe just makes themselves repulsive by every moral standard to society, will there not be one person who will stand by that person? And that will be the mother. Can a mother ever forget this baby? 
That, 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 that person's always going to be the baby that she nursed that was there, that bond, that unique relationship that is there. It's unbreakable. And then the Lord says, even if, even if she could forget, maybe there are mothers in a fallen world who can disown their sons and daughters. Even if she could forget, you got to know that I could never forget you. I could never forget you. God is saying here that God's got this motherly sort of passionate love towards his, I always want to say her children. A love that your doings cannot break. I remember when, 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 when Patty Wetterling, after Jacob Wetterling was first kidnapped 10, 11 years ago now, she got on TV and, and with this love, burning love that had turned to a godly kind of rage, she said on the TV, Jacob, if you can hear me, you just got to know this. I will never stop looking for you. I will never, till the day that I die, I will not cease looking for you. And I don't know what it's like to have an earthly mother love you like that. But I do know what it's like to have a, a godmother love you like that. God to love you with a mother's kind of love that says this. Whatever it takes, I'm going to pursue you. I won't forget you. I'm going to be chasing you. And when you think that I've forsaken you, you've got to know that I'm there with you. I think about you the way a mother thinks about a child that she has nursed. And your situation can't push me away. The sin that you've fallen into can't push me away. The divorce that you've gone through two times can't push me away. The, the, the alcoholism that you've fallen into can't push me away. Your hard hardness can't push me away. I'm the God who became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm after you. I'm pursuing you. I've got a mother's burning, passionate, undying love that wants to receive you and win you back to myself. Can we believe that God loves us like that? There's a part of me, anyway, that wants to say, that can't possibly be true. It seems gushy or, or liberal or something to talk that way. But it's the Word of God. And then the Lord says this, even if, a, even if an earthly mother could forget you, I will never forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are always before me. When Isaiah wrote this prophecy around 800 B.C., there's no way they could have ever known the full meaning of that. I've engraved you in the palms of my hands. This is one of the most beautiful things of Scripture that testifies to the truthfulness of God's Word. The way it's so packed with meaning that only becomes unfolded centuries later. We read back on that and we ask, what does that mean? And it bears an unmistakable witness to the person of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. As his palms were were pierced with nails because of his love for us. A Patty Wetterling kind of a love, infinitely more than a Patty Wetterling kind of love we can conceive of it, that chases us, that descends into the darkest depths of hell on Calvary in order to win us back to himself. I've engraved you on the palms of my hand, and the way we are to think about it is this. Even if we can't think of a mother uh, not forgetting the, the child that she's nursed, think about God looking at his palms that have been pierced and on his palms is written the name Greg Boyd. On the palm is written the name of Steve or Margie or Ann or Jim or whatever your name is, is there on the palms because it was the, blo the blood on the palm was shed for you. And the same way that you can't ever forget a scar, an injury, I look at my finger right here and I got this scar and when I look at that scar and I know, bam, right, that I can review the whole way that I got this scar, almost ripped off my whole finger when I was about nine or ten years old. The whole thing plays back when I look at it. So also the Lord looks at the scars on his hands and his scar has got your name on it. And then he says, your walls are always before me. He's talking to Israel now and he's talking about Jerusalem and he's really just saying your exterior is always on my mind. 
your exterior is always on my mind. You come to our house and you're going to see a, a refrigerator full of pictures. And also report cards and achievements and whatnot. And Shelly is the one who puts most of those there. One of the things I just love about Shelly, my wife, is, is the way she's always thinking. Throughout the day, you know, I'm busy with a lot of stuff. And I think about kids too, but she spends a lot of her day just thinking about the kids. They're on her mind. She thinks about them. And the Lord is saying, you are always on my mind. I've got your picture on my refrigerator. And I look at it over and over again. And I don't have anything in my human experience to relate that to a mother, to an earthly mother. To have someone who likes to think about me when I'm not around, uh, in an affectionate, loving, kind sort of a way. But I know that the Lord thinks about me continually. My picture is on his refrigerator. It's in the wallet. And I'm always before the Lord. And there came a time in my life where the Lord said, Greg, reveal this to me. You have got this unmet need, this cavity in your soul because you needed, like everyone needs, a mother's love and instead you had to put cold packs on your face to make the swelling go down. But Greg, you got to know that every mother that's ever been a good mother has been designed by me and I can do it pretty well. Will you let me be your all in all? Love you with a mother's kind of love. The Lord wants to be the one that we can run to. And I don't know how, you, how this works for you. I'm just going to share with you how it works for me. The Lord said, Greg, I want to be whatever you needed your mother to be and what she was not. I want to be that for you. The one you can run to. And I will be compassionate. I will be gentle. I will be warm. I will be tender. I will be forgiving. I think about you all the time. Know that you're on my mind. I want to give you a hug in, in the distinct way that in your mind you think a mother should love you. Let me fill that hole in your soul. And there came a time when I just let the Lord love me like that in, in a motherly kind of way. And I became the little baby that nursed at the mother's breast. And the Lord brought a tremendous healing in my life. Here's the final thing that it did that I want to share with you. Is that, you see, anger and bitterness is the result. It, it, it always comes, it, it's always a reflection of pain. And pain is the result of having a need that didn't get met. Your need is here, but reality is here. And the gulf between your need and reality produces this negative emotion. Sometimes comes out as depression. Sometimes comes out as rage. Sometimes comes out as unforgiveness or bitterness. The gulf between the need of the human heart that God designed you with and reality creates this discrepancy. Some of you are living with a very big discrepancy in your life right now. And as long as there's that discrepancy, there will be this negative emotion. People could say to me, you know, you got to forgive your mother. You just got to forgive her. You better forgive her. If you're a Christian, you ought to forgive her. And I could even go through the motions of saying, okay, I forgive you. But as long as that gulf, that cavity, that hole in the soul is there, that negative, that bitterness will be there. So then what happens? When we do this so often, we turn the things of God into a behavior. Here's what you ought to do. But some behaviors you just can't do. You just can't all of a sudden decide, okay, I forgive. There has to be a reality to it. And the reality always, all the things of God, all the fruit of the Spirit, everything that is of God, comes out of the healing that God brings about in our life. And when God began to close the gulf between the needs of my heart and reality by, needing the, by meeting the motherly needs in my life, that allowed me to let go of my stepmother. And that's what forgiveness most essentially is. It's letting go. It's just letting go. Because 
I no longer needed her to be something she could never be. I know a lady who was over 60 years old who's still very, very angry all the time because her, her mother, who's now 80-something, is never the mother she wants. And she's still wondering about why when I was 12 years old did you do this and why when I was 14 did you do this? And, and she's bitter at this whole thing. Always trying to read, what's the expression, vinegar out of a tune-up or whatever. Because there's this, this need, I don't know what the expression is, it's something like that. Because there's a need in her heart. There's this need that won't go away. And so you keep on trying to get it from the only source you know. You keep on trying to get it from the only source you know. The Lord wants to come in and meet that need. And when the Lord meets that need, you can let go of it. And I was able, 14, 15 years after the time that I made this covenant, I was able to reconnect, the Lord was able to reconnect the emotional center of my life and let my stepmother go. You know what happened when that happened? I could begin to see her in terms other than my own needs. You see, when you're wearing spectacles of pain, you see people in terms of your pain. And I never could see her for who she really was. She was, she was a person who needed Christ, who also had a very tough childhood and had all sorts of issues. I could finally see her for who she was rather than for who I needed her to be. And that brought healing in my life, eventually brought some healing in her life. If you were to meet her today, you would never believe any of the stuff I told you about because she's one of the most sweetest, loving... She's a Christian now, and God's revolutionized her life, and it's a beautiful thing. But a worship team, would you come out here? I want to end with a song. But here's, here's what my prayer for us this morning is this. If you have a mother that you love, that has been a godly mother to you, a good mother, a tender mother, shower her today with all the love in the world because you are a very, very lucky person. And mothers, if you have sons and daughters who appreciate what you've done, you are very, very lucky too. For all of us, though, whether you have that or don't, we need to know this. The Lord wants to be our all in all. And there is this side to God that we don't talk about too much. I don't think we talk about enough. But it's this motherly side of God, this feminine side of God. And for some of us, we need to hear that. Some people even have this jaded view of fatherhood that, that they have trouble thinking of God as father in a loving way. But let God also be mother and envelop you.